man. There's a beverage here, huh? Does anybody here know how many times I've had to watch Funny Lady? I'm gonna get that gun of mine, and I'm gonna change you from a rooster to a hen with one shot. All right, everybody, welcome back to Who Shot Ya? I am your host today, Drea Clark. Um, my sweet buddies, Ify Wadaway and Alonzo Duralde are not here. They are putting together a magic and animals routine to take on the road, and I might have just made that up. It's called Sexy Christmas. Sexy Christmas. <laughs> Rawr. With three X's. Yes. <laughs> um, so keep an eye out for that if we did not just invent it. And they might be back, or you might see them on the road. I am lucky enough in their in their stead to be joined by two of my favorite ladies. Hey. Um, first off, we have freelance writer whose work can be read in The Hollywood Reporter, Teen Vogue, at the AV Club, and a producer for iHeartRadio, Joelle Monique. Hey. What's good? What's good is I still don't have coronavirus, and every day that I'm not sick is a victory, guys. It is so weird being in LA right now. It feels like we're nearing a post-apocalyptic space. There's no more toilet paper. That doesn't exist. Uh, and there's nobody on the 405, which is like some kind of weird miracle. It's good and bad and horrifying. And I'm not sure if we're ever going to return to normal. It feels like we're always going to live this way now, just in a constant state of fear. But you are glowing. Thank so... you so much. And it's not because I'm sweating. You still don't have coronavirus. And that's the good thing. Your lack of illness looks great on you. <laughs> it really so does. Much. I love being in good health. Oh, Lord, please let us stay this way. Yeah. Poor Tom Hanks. Oh, I don't know what to do, guys. It's scary. It's very scary. With that, let's talk about <laughs> not scary with one of my favorite fear-loving people, comedian, writer, and director, Luce Tomlin Brenner. What's good with you? I feel compelled to say that I am also not sick. Hey, because if I ignored me. it, I feel like I'm implicitly saying I am. Yeah, mm. So I am also glowing. I am covered head to toe in sparkles. That's She's not sparkles. exaggerating. <laughs> she is covered in sparkles. That's what's good with me. I got some new sparkles from Too Faced, which is one of my favorite makeup companies. So They're good. cruelty free. They don't test on cows or any other creatures. So nice of them. <laughs> Specifically... First cows, <laughs> after, and um, I feel like uh, glitter is a great way to meet your people. Like, cause it's, cause I put it on knowing I was gonna see you ladies, and this you like immediately followed my yes. siren song of glitter, which made me so happy. And when I was in the elevator on the way up, two little girls like just <gasps> magneted to my face. Oh, straight up, the like, makeup you're babies. wearing right now is like if when I was eight, that is the face I dreamed of having. Oh my goodness, painting on myself, right? Mm-hmm. Like just like, ooh, a, a cat, a cat. Cat winged liner, mm-hmm. a lot of sparkle, <laughs> golds yeah. and pinks everywhere. It's very like punk Barbie, and I love it. This that, is an exciting who shot you totally energy for me. Named my aesthetic. <laughs> that was so it. Much. Yes. <laughs> yes. Drea, what's good with oh you? My gosh, thank you for asking. I'm so right here with you. I almost feel um, guilty that this is my what's good, except for it is genuinely good because mm. it's the opposite of this sort of like female mystique we have going on. Ooh. What is good with me, ladies, is hockey hair, specifically <laughs> Minnesota High School State Championship hockey hair. Okay, yes. You may not be familiar with this, though. I know Casey is. Casey's really giving us a heavy thumbs up he over knows, there. He loves he knows. it. So for years, um, the Minnesota State High School ch- Hockey Championships just ended, and they are always broadcast on this like local public, or no, just a local channel. And there's a weird thing where all of the guys playing skate up and do these introductions without their helmet on because you don't normally see what hockey players look like sure and so for years there's been this guy who no one knew who he was but he made these videos where he was like 
awarding who the best hockey hair was. Mm-hmm. And the hockey <laughs> hair is out of control. Like, these dudes do not... Sh- like, they do these very dramatic, like, shapings, mullets of all lengths and sizes, perms, <laughs> weird stuff. And they get very into it for months. Like, they've they've been incubating this hair since summer. And so last it's week... purposeful. Yeah. So, no last idea. year, someone, like, outed the guy who made these. Like, oh, found no. out who he was. It wasn't, like, super bad. But okay, it was okay. this, like, oh, we found him. And they did a thing. And he was like, oh, cool. That was fun. I'm not going to do it anymore. And then this year, this... Um, it's this nonprofit called Hendrix, I think. Hendrickson. Hendrix. But they support... Um, Hockey players who are blind, who have disabilities, like who get to play and all these things. Oh, that's so and cool. they gave a huge check to that nonprofit so that he would make this video again. That's beautiful. And I please just encourage you to watch it. Like he's he's the most Minnesota funny, like it's very deadpan. <laughs> he gives nicknames to all of them. And these dudes Cute. and their cheesy hair and their high school acne and their faces, and this is like their moment to shine, and it's super real. So no one else knows about it. That is very good for me. Um, Today, we are going to be talking about First Cow. Uh, We're going to take a call from the Who Shot line. And as ever, we're going to end with staff picks. But first, it is time for our news segment called It A Dick, which I can finally say without giggling. (laughs) This is short for Is This Important? Do I Care? Thus, each of us will read a news segment and answer the question, Is This Important? Do I Care? First up. Onward has been banned in some countries because lesbians. Onward, the new Disney-released Pixar film is getting banned and censored in multiple countries because of the lesbian characters. About halfway through the movie, the police officer character Spencer, voiced by Lena Waithe, turns to her co-worker and says, It's not easy being a new parent. My girlfriend's daughter's got me pulling my hair out, okay? And this was enough to get the film banned in Kuwait, Oman, Qatar, and Saudi Arabia. In Russia, the line's been changed to partner instead of girlfriend. Is this important? Do you care? Oh, my God. I mean, I mean also, it's not even, like, lesbians. It's a yeah, lesbian and a singular cop. mention to her life. Yeah, I think, it's, I think it's important in that there are so many countries around the world that still criminalize, criminalize LGBT lifestyles and, like, that you can be imprisoned and killed for being in a gay relationship or being trans Mm -hmm. and that this is a reflection of that, um, you know, oppression and dehumanization. So that aspect of it is important. Um, I think that Disney having, doing this little for, like, gay representation is eye-rolling. Yes. Uh, It's clearly just paying lip service to it because it's one line, so Russia can easily dub it. It could easily be cut out. So I definitely don't like the whole aspect of, like, Disney getting any snaps for doing something progressive. It's literally the least they could do. I understand what you're saying, though. There is... There's almost a um, validating element of having these countries still behaving this way Mm -hmm. to bring light to when you're explaining injustices yourself of, no, I'm not making this parts of the world treat it this way, this severely. And having those examples, current examples, Mm -hmm. is helped to underlining points. But is is the trade off of it as worthy? Is the idea of oh, well, then we won't ever have these. Like, the the whole shape of things can be really daunting. And mm-hmm. I care about that. Like, I care Definitely. about the shape and growth of culture and having stories reflect the world and mm-hmm. having that world be given to everyone. Mm-hmm. And 
Oh, God, it's just annoying. So I have two points. Uh, first one, real quick, there was a Disney shareholders meeting, I believe, earlier today, uh, where someone stood up and shouted, we've fallen 20 points because there's too much gay crap in our <sighs> movies. Yes, where reportedly <sighs> another person stood up and said, the coronavirus is maybe why we've lost 20 points. So I care because anything like... There, we live in a By crazy- the way, in my head, this meeting was taking place at the table in the Hudsucker Proxy. Uh, first of <laughs> all, yes, yeah. please. Okay. Second of all, I, I just find it like so strange that people despise the gays so much that the immediate reaction is like, well, I'm totally ignoring all world news. It must mm-hmm. be because so we had one line about a gay character in an animated film. Yeah, too much gay shit. I'm sorry, what, a gay candlestick and two characters kiss on Star Wars? <laughs> that is not enough gay shit and the I'm gays are here to say that. but that was a be- basically what they said. <laughs> I'd also like to quote our resident, Gay Alonzo, from a think piece he had Uh, I believe entitled Blinking, You'll Miss It, about gay moments in film. And he said, well, blinking is not allowed if you want to pick up on queer representation in mainstream Disney movies. Or you might miss such hollowed community (laughs) icons as gay guy in a support group from Avengers Endgame. Two women pushing one stroller and finding Dory. Oh, my God. The worst one. (laughs) Women kissing with New Year's Eve energy during a cinematic celebration. Star Wars, The Rise of Skywalker. Or... Foffage henchman who briefly dances with another dude, the live action Disney and sorry, the live action Beauty and the Beast. Uh, Alonzo, as always, is absolutely correct. Uh, there's never not been so far one moment in a Disney movie where they're like, look, we gay inclusivity that has made me a gay feel included. So here yes. we are. More yeah. foppish henchmen. <laughs> yeah, put your ass on the That's line and I give I us say. a main character. Yeah, well, the, so much money, Disney. This upcoming this year is the Marvel film Eternals, mm-hmm. which their big thing that they've been like piecemealing out is that mm-hmm. one of the characters, mm-hmm. presumably the one played by Brian Tyree Henry, um, is not just gay, but married and has a kiss. And the man they cast his husband is delicious. Oh, yeah. I'm very excited for this moment. So uh, we'll see how that goes. All right. Well, next up, is this important? Do we care? Karen Kusama is going to direct the new Dracula. Yes. Following the success of The Invisible Man, Blumhouse and Universal are moving forward with a remake of another classic creature feature, and that's Dracula. I think it's exciting that they got Karen. Uh, her past movies are Jennifer's Body, The Invitation, Destroyer, and Girl Fight. Beep, beep. Uh, and if you want to hear Karen discuss vampires in her own work, check out her episode of Switchblade Sisters, Ow. where she oh talks about dark. Product placement. You guys... Do you care about this? Is this important? I mean, mostly I Uh, care that she was on Switchblade Sisters. Yes, that's the news item. No, I'm freaking psyched about this. I love Karin's movies. I think she's so talented. And we, you know, we just talked about The Invisible Man and the idea of taking these, especially the universal monsters, these very historically recognized, obviously... Bram Stoker probably wants more of the credit for Dracula, but um, <laughs> that taking these known entities and putting a modern twist with a deeper sensibility to it, um, and, and literally like like we dreamt it, mm. Karen and this, like it's made me. I'm like, oh, now I want I want Jennifer Kent doing the Hunchback of Notre Ooh, Dame. Yes. Um, I want who else do we got? 
Daniel Daniel Destin Cretton, who did Short Term Twelve and Just Mercy, which uh, which is okay. currently out. Um, I feel like he could do an interesting and very sort of internalized um, Frankenstein. Yeah, we're saying there's a lot of fun. Uh, anyway, I'm so excited about this. Yeah, yeah. Same. Karen is. Excellent. Uh, and what I'm really hoping for is that we're leaning into Dracula's daughters. I don't know which Ooh. part of the lore, but I am with Dracula as I am with a lot of the major American icons uh, that we see repeated in film and literature and television. I'm talking Batman, Superman, our sort of American atypical heroes. Uh, we know Dracula's origin story. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know about his little henchmen. I know about his wives. Uh, it's kind of boring. Give me something new. I love the way Invisible Man gave us like a whole bunch of new stuff with like a character I, we're familiar with. I would actually, I would fight that in the sense that I don't know if we know his origin story as well as we know like the... Uh, the, jo- the Jonathan Harker, but the Vlad the Impaler is a different thing. Like that's the ba- the historical basis. Sure, sure. But I'm saying I, I say this only of it would also be interesting to me because Dracula has been something that stood in for sexuality, mm-hmm. that stood in for um, truthfully of what we're talking about now of, of worrying of plagues. Mm-hmm. It stood in for like the. Um, colonization and the mm-hmm. after effects of that. So I think there's something about the myth creation of Dracula that could be played with in an interesting way. Because that was when one of the things about the Invisible Man that I thought worked so well. Mm-hmm. Karen is so good at going between genres. She can do horror. She can do horror comedy, uh, thriller, suspense, crime, um, action. She dinner mess- parties. Dinner parties, <laughs> yeah. What uh, crazy night. <laughs> she can go in between, um, play with timelines and uh, ages. And I just feel like there's nothing she can't do. And having to explore a story that I think out of all the Universal Monsters is the one that has gotten the most squeezed out of it mm. uh, and feels like there's nowhere new to go she is somebody that I really feel like could just like crack it open and like get through its guts and like pull out something weird like a gallbladder and have like a ball with it that very beautiful beautifully visual thank you yes. <laughs> um uh, Earlier this week, Hatchet Book Group purchased the right to Mr. Woody Allen's memoir Apropos of Nothing and plan to release the book next month However, Ronan Farrow publicly condemned the move. If you don't know, Ronan Farrow is the brother of the director's accuser, Dylan Farrow, who claims the director sexually abused her when she was a child. Ronan has written extensively about the Me Too movement and Harvey Weinstein. To top it off, he actually published a book recently released and at the top of the charts um, by Hatchet Book Group. With that, dozens of Hatchet book employees staged a walkout in protest of the publisher's decision to carry Woody Allen's book. And after all of this controversy, Hatchet Book Group announced they would be giving the rights back to Allen and not publishing the book after all. Is this important, gals? Do you care? Uh, first of all, to every member of Hatchet Book Group that uh, participated in that walkout, bravo, guys. Yeah, that was yeah. so badass. Working in... The literary world is so scary as far as job security goes and for you to like stake everything on Mm -hmm. that opinion like fucking bravo that's That's the kind of action we need right now absolutely and i think post cesar awards which we saw and talked about last week um where you had a, a victim of abuse walk out in disgust because we were still awarding a director who has been convicted like we can all see what he did we are aware of it um 
I think it's amazing. I think it's amazing. Mm-hmm. I think it's definitely not censorship. If you're confusing what censorship is, the government has not stepped in and said, Woody Allen, you cannot publish his book. Simply a company said, we will not print the book. And that's fine. He could still self-publish it. I'm sure Amazon will have no problem just letting him run whatever because they don't really regulate that stuff. Whatever. If you, for whatever reason, want to read this book, you'll probably be able to. But I think it's really awesome that we're saying, like, listen, here, we're not going to keep celebrating pedophiles. That's weird. Absolutely. They the in their statement they said a thing about it being challenging, like and they don't they like to be able to publish challenging Ugh. works. And I'm like, can we not act like rapists are the people who have to have their word protected? It's like, not that confusing. It's not this isn't challenging work like we're trying to dismantle the government. It's not like wow, we're trying to change the very fabric of our society. Like rapists are a part of the establishment, are the people who have had protected words. So like he isn't challenging. Nothing about him is challenging. Like he's the status quo. Literary people and artists are supposed to like chuck out the status quo and fight them. Absolutely. So like for them to even kind of say that in their statement, it felt like those workers probably did have to go through a fight. Yeah. They did. I have zero interest in playing devil's advocate on behalf no. of hey. the, the idea of someone putting that out. Although... I also understand, like we were talking about like shareholders and nonsense like that and defending things of someone who has frustratingly been found or acquitted of things like mm-hmm. I can get like sure on a corporate level they have to say whatever random buzzword oh it was challenging this decision mostly I'm happy I feel like we live in such a place where there are so many things angering a lot of people very genuinely and there feels like there's such few times when your anger and your protest and your like pushing back against that amounts to anything so to see an actual cause and effect of these workers stepping out and most of them who were interviewed that day it was like we know this probably won't change anything and the idea that it did mm. is feels good yeah so. it makes your brain just loosen just a little bit it does. you know yeah. like the vice comes so, off yes. for a few keep, minutes keep doing whatever walkouts and mm-hmm. whatever keep fighting yes. a day later we got Harvey Weinstein 23 days in prison it's been, it's been a good week girl years years sorry 23 <laughs> weeks I love would that not have been enough I love that you said what we would have all expected though yeah. <laughs> yes yes <laughs> um, okay we're gonna take a break when we come back we will be talking about First Cow, just as soon as we hear from another one of the shows on Maximum Fun. This is your captain with an update from the flight deck. We'll be reaching Max Fun Drive on March 16th. That's right on time. As a reminder, Max Fun Drive runs for just two weeks, and it's the best time of year to support the podcasts you love. If you look towards the front, you'll see your favorite hosts with special bonus content and lovely thank you gifts for new and upgrading monthly members. Now, sit back, relax, and catch up on your favorite Max Fun shows now so you can listen to the new episodes releasing March 16th. And thanks again for choosing Maximum Fun. Welcome back to Who Shall Ya? I'm your host, Drea Clark, and in the studio with me are... Luce Tomlin-Brenner. Angela Monique. Um, I'm going to do another quick what's good, and that is a siren went by earlier, and Luce <laughs> said, how dare they? I have an emergency hot take. 
And that was worth uh, me butting in here. Wow, thank you. Yes. Oh, now, today we are talking about First Cow. And Luce, would you please give us the synopsis? Of course. First Cow is a beautiful, slow cinema epic from director Kelly Reckard. She co-wrote it with Jonathan Raymond, who uh, the movie is based on his novel Half-Life. And it's starring uh, John... Mar- Mangaro. Mangaro and Orion Lee as uh, Cookie and King Lou, which I think are two of the greatest names Great in names. cinema. Uh, it takes place in an 1820s Oregon settlement in the Northwest along the Columbia River. And it's about these two guys who kind of find each other mistakenly and build a friendship through their desire to cook and make money and make a life for themselves in the budding, quote unquote, new world. Uh, They're living alongside fur trappers and other settlers and um, also indigenous people. But not too many. No, like a handful. (laughs) Like 15 people people total. In like really interesting little shacks along the river. Imagine your smallest high school class out in the wilderness fending for yourself. Yeah. And alongside of the uh, indigenous Chinook uh, tribe as well. And it is at times just like a sweet moving tale of friendship and also a thrilling heist film. And there's also a lovely cow that is very much appreciated throughout the film and uh, serves as the conflict throughout. I feel like what might be a helpful background for people who are not familiar with Kelly Reichardt films, um, which is a lot of people, mm-hmm. because she is someone who has been making really esoteric and unique work that's like very specific to very her artistic. voice and language. Um, you know, but it's not in this showy way that you know. You, often I think of someone who's like, oh, I've made a, re- a there's a real voice to them, and then you yeah. think of like your Wes Anderson, like your Tarantino, like in your face voice. Kelly Reichardt's work has a different tone to it mm-hmm. that I do think is a nice consistency regardless of where these films are based. Her last film, Certain Women, um, I loved and was set in contemporary times and was kind of a triptych story. And it still looked very wilderness heavy. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. yeah. She tends to, yeah, she has a, a definite connection to the Pacific Northwest, mm-hmm. I'd say, and uh, mostly because that's that term sounds right. That's yeah, why yeah. I'd that's say where it. her co-writer Jonathan uh, Raymond is actually from the Northwest, okay. Okay. and he's co-written on most of her films, Wendy and Lucy, Old Joy, and I think Certain Women as well. How would you guys describe her style if you were talking through, you know, a newbie? So <sighs> clean, and I would say enthralled in the chaos of nature and by that I mean a lot of times I feel like I'm obsessed with trees I don't know if we've ever had this conversation on the podcast I really really love trees and I oftentimes feel like when they're it has strangely not come up listen if, if it's my next tattoo I we don't have time to go into the history of my love for trees but the point is when you when I see them on film a lot of times it's they're either shot kind of in a, a flat way or in such a way that you're literally trying to see a forest instead of the trees. So it's like, how do these trees sculpt a, um, a frame? Mm-hmm. And they become very like Disney-esque where you have like the low-hanging bows at the top of the frame and it creates like this sort of like fairy tale-esque thing where she's constantly shooting leaves, mm-hmm. like low-laying leaves, tall Rustling. grass. But it's always shot sort of in a... Um, in a way that it, it it doesn't feel too 
thought about if that makes sense it's, so it's not like high, it's not precious yeah, yeah it's loving and sensitive yeah yeah that's what i love about and, but it never work. quite reaches dreamy or fantasy it's always mm-hmm. very grounded in the real and i think striking that balance of like lovely and sweeping but still authentic and real is feels to me very challenging mm-hmm. um there's not a lot of excess in her films they're hyper historically accurate for when she does go back into these time periods um what stood out to me in this one, and I like you describing it that way, was although this is by virtue of what I'm about to say impossible, it felt like it was filmed in a period appropriate like camera setting. Do you know what yes. I mean? Like, that I know it was filmed with modern equipment, mm-hmm. but like how it incorporated in each of the spaces. Like we mentioned these little shacks that they're in. Yes. They're outside a lot. They're, they're sitting on the most disgusting ground. Talk about all we mentioned lately is people needing to wash their hands. And I've mm. never wanted characters to wash their hands more than the no, characters yeah, you're of watching First people Cow. people with dirty hands There touch are moments food. where you can oh absolutely God. sense the yeah, smell of cooking. the place. They're cooking with these hands I'm like, no. But the how the camera's involved with all of it, I was like, oh, it feels natural to me that the camera would be in that room rather than that sort of staged. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Check the, out this old-timey set I've made. The mm. shots are so long, too. She doesn't oh, move yeah. the camera a lot. There's not jump cuts. She has the two or multiple characters in a shot. She doesn't do a lot of, like, cut back and forth between people talking. or She doesn't get coverage yeah. as mm-hmm, much. Mm-hmm. It feels like she has decided what the picture is going to be. And in that way, actually... Whereas uh, Wes Anderson is very um, excessive, but he does these beautiful yeah. like dollhouse frame portraits. She actually frames up very similar. She frames, yes. But mm-hmm. like with e- with the exact opposite, everything that Wes Anderson is, the, the yeah. chaos and color, it's just she has found that in nature and mm-hmm. the art artistry of nature. Uh, none say- of it is... Um, uh, put together with like a person's yeah. hand. Wes Anderson's very uh, precise. He's going precise. through with a ruler mm-hmm. and making sure like if this person's three inches from the left side of the frame, the person who's mirroring them is going to be three inches from the right side of the frame. Very, very particular. Whereas she's just sort of letting things happen where they would happen. That There's a shot early on where the guys first find the house they want to, they build their house and one's inside and one's outside of the window and it's very reminiscent yes. of like a lot of old westerns and there's this moment where you keep expecting her to focus on the guy who's uh in the front of the frame. He's standing in the doorway. But she's like, no, nah, the guy outside is what we're focused mm-hmm. on. He's just picking grass. The guy in the doorframe is sort of like looking out. I think maybe he's... He was sweeping and the guy outside is trying to yes. chop wood. Well, I, I love... In the best way ever because yeah. that's how I would chop wood for sure. Yes. This Horribly. is a movie yeah. of tasks, which I think is also really interesting. Yeah. And it sounds kind of boring when I say it like that. But this is a movie where people are really living... I don't think I've thought about how hard it would be to just go to a place with nothing. <laughs> And yeah, start. it's been a minute since I played Oregon Trail. So yeah, but like this really is where this ends. The yeah. simplicity of uh, they don't really know how to chop wood either. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. There's something I'd love to talk about the two guys because Ugh, love them. pivoting this movie, you know, a lot of a lot of Kelly's previous movies has been female centric. Mm-hmm. Um, it's certainly been world oriented, like Meek's cut off. You know, like there's work that she's doing that's gender balanced but with a lot of female perspective to it this is a film where i feel like lily gladstone is the only female that has any significant lines and those lines are in like a single scene Mm -hmm. and half of them when she's translating a man's words Mm -hmm. um so this is such a male heavy film and yet i still so much felt a woman's um 
perspective, you know, on mm-hmm. that, on 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 who these men were and how they were perceived, and they were fascinating. So, yeah. like the main guy, you know, we meet. To me, this it was so um, incongruous. The idea of this man who is com- so gentle and so um, warm and compassionate, um, and he like clearly knows enough that he's been able to live and be self sufficient ish in the woods, but he also just seems so gentle. And you see the there's trappers and things around him that look like feral dogs. Yes, and the <laughs> you know just the distance between them I found fascinating. I love that too, and I I found a lot of parallels between this and her first feature or her second feature, Old Joy, mm-hmm. um, which is also about two men in the woods but it's modern times and there's so much gentleness between in that friendship as well and I think she does such a service to men showing the emotional side of male relationships and men getting to be full uh, thoughtful creatures like they are uh, and they can be (laughs) and um, something that I really love about Cookie uh, who is the gentle one that you're talking about is and he's called Cookie and when we meet him he's he's paired (laughs) up with this like group of like unruly trappers trappers, and he's their cook they push him around and they're just so awful to him and like one of the first things you see you see his hands first which I think hands you think of caretakers you think of women a lot of times nurturing and you see just his hands and they like flip over a little lizard that was like caught on its back in the woods and he's gathering food which is again very like nurturing and loving and he is so he, it's, you know, the beginning of um, Europeans being in America uh, and on the West Coast. And I think, like, he is untouched by what we now think of as, like, patriarchy and, like, toxic male, like, aggressiveness in the same way that the natural world that they're in is untouched by um, aggressive capitalism. And, like, this movie is about capitalism seeping into the natural mm-hmm. world and how his gentleness is kind of buffering up against that the way that, like, the natural world is buffering up against it. That's such an interesting interpretation of the film because as I was watching th- all of these same moments, that the opening really, she does a great job of, like, informing you of everything that's about to happen and sort of setting up this world in just those first few scenes. Um, and the idea of these guys who are, like, one of them is just ready to fight at the drop of the hat. And I, I really thought that it was doing a really good job of commenting on the development of America, essentially, and this mm-hmm. idea that when we think of the Old West, we think cowboys, we think um, manifest destiny, and mostly we think, like, very strong people surviving, like, extra harsh, like, weather, and they, like, overcame to, like, build America into what it was going to be. And she sort of takes all of that away and says, like, here are two really gentle souls who were trying to support that sort of system in a way like they're finding their passions but they're also trying to figure out how to survive at one point um one of the guys gets this idea in his head that they're going to build a hotel and that cookie's going to cook there and it's going to like they're going to have a bunch of beds and it'll be great and they'll be able to become a part of the system that they left in the first place and i loved this idea of america sort of like this is where we went off the rails when we started like stamping this guy you know this guy who had like a good heart down and instead idolize these guys who are fighting at the drop of a hat in a pit uh and as it goes on you started seeing like how even gentler guys like the guy who owns the cow sort of become corrupt um once they have a taste of capitalism mm-hmm. no i love 
I love bringing, yeah, I like that broader worldview of it. And I also like the idea that how we measure strength in this country, well, in in Western society, Mm -hmm. in a larger thing, has become so synonymous with like really typical um, masculine characteristics. Mm -hmm. And that's something that like a lot of female characters or female storytellers have sort of pushed against. But that that that's nonsense like these guys had to be just as strong to exist in this world they just chose to do it with more care mm-hmm. and i love that and i love too that bridging it into the two of them together so the second lead character played by orion lee is um a chinese man who has who we meet naked and on the run from russians Ooh, like like hot. all good like all good thrillers this film this film has the funniest heist elements to it and like so midway through i was like i want to vomit i was miserable this whole yes. second half because i was so tense it was like yeah. equally is, peaceful and oh extraordinarily tension producing it is quite a feat speed chase ever <laughs> but like yeah the two of them meet and befriend each other and become this um a support network for each other in a really interesting way. And Joelle actually said something before we started, which I'd love to talk about because I appreciated, I particularly appreciated that I felt there was a, just a platonic nature to these men, Mm -hmm. which transcended for me in the sense that it almost meant more that way that they were able to support each other and be like dreaming together and like oh let's move in and I'll protect you and you protect me like we live in this mm-hmm. we live in the woods man let's I kept waiting up. for like the other shoe to drop yeah. I feel like I've been so manipulated by like mainstream yeah. film <laughs> for either one of them to be the bad guy or it would have to me taken away from it as much as I would still happily watch a queer love story in this exact setting mm-hmm. for this movie I appreciated that they didn't have to be romantically involved or lust for each other to provide these things that men don't often get to provide Absolutely. for each other on screen. And I think but I like think Joelle had a totally different take I on did. it. Listen, here's my thing. Uh, if you pair two people up closely and they are forming an intimate relationship, I'm always going to skip over friendship. Now, that's not <laughs> too... It's not to just friend love. I have so many friend loves who I, I value and are obviously very important uh, to my life and probably to yours too. You need friendship. Uh, but I'm, I'm always looking for queer stories and I think I've grown up in a world that had so few of them uh, that oftentimes, you know, if there are two people the same sex get close together, my head is like... Gay, and I also think the more I've been looking at like queer romance in older times or or, or periods before, like I would even say like the you know not in like we talk a lot about French society in this movie. Like if I think around the same time you've got like Oscar Wilde, you know, a couple of years before you know being out here like I'm gay and you have to deal with it because I have money. Um, there's something to be said for queer people who don't have the visible access of queer love, who had fully formed relationships, but maybe they never entered an intimate space. And I, I, there's something about sort of the way they cared for each other that felt romantic to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, not sex, Maybe not sexually romantic, but definitely romantic. And maybe you could categorize that as friendship romantic, but it was two guys and it's gay in my head and it's it's fabulous in yeah. here. Like but- I said, I am all in favor. <laughs> I, love it. I love a good gay mm-hmm. story and want more of them. I think it's more... 
Um, I I think in my head it made me. Um, there's so many times in female movies where two g- women who are very close and having this bond mm-hmm. have a moment that suddenly becomes sexually charged, oh, yeah, I get and you. I'm like bullshit. Like how? Like great if you are sexually charged, mm. but it's such a weird dismissive thing. And that was my like my little bubble for this one. I definitely think that that trajectory is more important for especially for a lot of male viewers who don't get to see a non hyper masculine male friendships mm. on screen a lot. And so there's definitely something we said be like, no, I just love this dude. That's my bro. And like we we, we had plans together and we we're gonna be business partners together. So I, I I'm not sure if there's a necessarily a right or wrong way or, or better or worse way to view it, but um I'm glad that the yeah. interpretation exists. Oh yeah. Let let your heart do what your heart wants. <laughs> well, with that I feel like it will be pretty easy for us to vote. Our system is we say, do we screen it, stream it, or skip it? Mm. Luce. You have to screen it. She also shoots it in a rare aspect ratio where it's a square screen instead of a rectangular screen, which creates more intimacy and closeness, which is such a big part of the story. So get the full effect. See it in the theater. It's really special. I'm going to also say screen it, but try to see it in a contemplative mood, in a meditative mood. And it, it, This is not a movie that is banging on your door asking to be viewed. It is, uh, as we say so eloquently put it earlier, a film of tasks, which means you are watching people do things. And uh, the, the chase scenes, uh, as Jay was saying, are very slow. It is a very measured film. And if you are not in a very measured state, you're not going to be able to enjoy it the way it was meant to be enjoyed. Uh, so don't go in looking for an action movie. Go in looking to think about your country and who got left out and how capitalism works and how it leaves out some really brilliant, awesome, beautiful people. Because uh, I think that's what she was going for. And it's a great film and yet yeah, beautiful on a big screen. So if you can, go screen it. Um, I am also a screen it. I fully agree with what you've said. The very first shot is watching a barge cross the screen (laughs) for like a full three minutes. And if that is not the energy that you are uh, prepared to embrace. Bring that hot barge energy. Also, do be ready to be tense because that was unexpected. And it will stay with you. But also fall in love with a cow. Oh, my God. Oh, yeah. Did we talk about how beautiful this cow is? I don't know if we mentioned it, but she's stunning. Come for the barge. Stay for the cow. (laughs) We will be right back after we hear from another show from Maximum Fun. Hello, Internet. I'm your husband host, Travis McElroy. And I'm your wife host, Teresa McElroy. And together we present Schmanners. It's extraordinary etiquette. For ordinary occasions. We explain the historical significance of everyday etiquette topics, then answer your questions relating to modern life. So join us weekly on MaximumFun.org or wherever podcasts are found. No RSVP required. Check out Schmanners. Manner, Schmanners. Get it? Welcome back to Hushaya. I am your host, Drea Clark. In the studio with me are... Joelle Monique. Luce Tomlin Brenner. <laughs> now it is time to play a call from the Hushot line and give it our best answer. Casey, play that call. Hi, Hushaya people. This is James coming at you from uh, Terre Haute, Indiana. And my question is, uh, I just got out of a screening uh, from the movie Just Mercy, uh, which I thought was just absolutely incredible. Um, but I found myself leaving the theater with a sense of um, righteous rage that this problem is just so big and so 
seemingly unsolvable. And I was wondering, my question for y'all is, what is that movie for y'all? What movie filled you with righteous rage? Um, thank you for listening. Love y'all and hope to hear from you soon. Righteous That's a great rage. question. And I'm psyched someone in Indiana is listening. Yeah, Midwest. Hey, Midwest. Yes. What's up? Midwest is best today anyway. Yes, always. Um, Hello. The <laughs> film Just Mercy, if you're not familiar with it, is a it uh, stars Michael B. Jordan. It's currently out. He plays Brian Stevenson, who's an incredible lawyer and activist, and I encourage you to read his work. Um, it is based on a true story of Brian trying to, I mean, like futilely for years, get this man who was in a black man incarcerated um, on really nonsense charges mm-hmm. that were pretty easily debunked. And not just that he couldn't get him released, he couldn't get the system to even go through the motions for him to like mm-hmm. get people to the table. And I think when I, I it is very hard for me to watch um especially fictionalized stories. Docs are hard for me anyway. I cry oh, at every so single much. documentary I watch. But fictionalized true life stories that have anything to do with the criminal justice system are almost already too much for me because mm-hmm. of the flames on the side of my face that bubble <laughs> up immediately. Um, yeah, I so this one, like, that's a, a great example of that. One of the first ones that makes me think back to is... Ghost of Mississippi, which mm. I don't know if you, if you girls remember. Um, it's a Rob Reiner film, strangely. Okay. And it is based on the... Um, it takes place in the in the late 80s, and it's based on Medgar Evers' wife, who was trying to... Um, Basically, get bring her her husband's killer to justice. Medgar Evers was a civil rights leader in the '60s who was killed on his front lawn, and he um, had the man accused of killing him was brought to trial twice in the '60s um, in absolute nonsense, scam, ugly ways. In the second trial, I believe, while the wife, while Edgar's or sorry, Medgar's wife was on the stand. The former governor came in to shake the hand of the defendant. Like, it was just ugly stuff. So this movie took place uh, starring Alec Baldwin, because, of course, you need a white male surrogate (laughs) to walk you through the story. But um, he was someone who he played a lawyer who got the trial through. And so 26 years after the fact, they finally did find his killer guilty and put him away. But the whole bulk of that movie, there's so many times that it's when you're watching things and you're just screaming like, that's so unfair. How? How? What the fuck? How does this unfairness happen? And when movies can unlock that in you, they're really... Those kind of movies, they're doing what they're trying to do. Mm-hmm. What, what Do you guys have some that come to mind? Uh, most recently, um, Todd Haynes' new movie, Dark Waters, starring sure. Mark Ruffalo, had a very similar effect and because it was based in a true story. And My Neck of the Woods, um, the Appalachian, Ohio, West Virginia kind of border about uh, DuPont dumping chemicals into the water of the area where everyone who works for the plant so he's poisoning their workers and their workers are, of course, loyal to the company. And then they have to find out that they're through their kids dying, basically, that they're being poisoned. And Mark Ruffalo was like a former corporate lawyer who started getting into activism and then tried to take on this case, basically a whole town against one of the most powerful companies 
internationally. I think you could do a nice double header of that and the documentary Company Town. And then you just lay which, down. Which, mm. And then just lay down. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Put the weighted yeah. blanket over your Company, face. Yeah. <laughs> Company Town is um, a fantastic. It's similar insight to a small town in Arkansas mm. where some absurdly high, like 60% of the people who live in it got cancer. In oh. a, like it was ridiculous. But they also have continued to this day. Like I just talked to the filmmaker of that this week. Had a, They're still making progress because of that movie in terms of getting enabling legislation um, just because so many more people then are aware of it. The the complexity of you you work for these people who are killing you and you have to work for them to live like it's just this, it's this mind-boggling like capitalistic puzzle that's just like we shouldn't be here why is this happening yeah. yes you, and you, i get similar vibes from um ryan coogler's fruitville station i had that on my list too literally yeah. made me crawl behind my couch at one point because it was just so honest and devastating mm-hmm. mostly just it was just devastating by the end of it you i my whole face was just tears and I had a, like a raging headache and mm-hmm. like it made me feel sick it, it was just awful and then um Nita Costa's Little Woods has a mm. stunted but similar feel of like that's just so unfair like how do you get ahead when there are 6,000 roadblocks and I think Nita Costa's film is not so immediately hurtful but like the more time you sit with Little Woods mm-hmm. the more you're like damn there's really no way out of this and this is probably like a very average situation for millions of people mm-hmm. and so yeah, you were Little impacted. Woods, it's just, oh, yeah, it's crazy. Little Woods is is more accessible in the sense that it's someone who's dealing with extreme poverty and a family of that and living in this. T- there's no way out, and then the dealing drugs to try and get ahead, and mm-hmm. then the yeah, it's trying to get access to uh, birth control or um, abortions when you have no money to feed the one child you do have, and yet your entire state is like, you got to have that second kid now. Sorry, was that well, technically you- fictional? I mean, obviously, it's based on many people's lives yeah, but yeah, it was yes. an original uh, yeah, story right yeah, yeah. she uh, worked on that in Sundance Lab mm, uh, yeah. and loved, then produced I later I loved that movie yeah well we hope that you have some rage fueled <laughs> viewing in front of you um, thank you for that that was a really great question and thank you to everyone who's called in the number if you have a question for us for the Who Shot line is WSY 803-1664. With that, we are headed into staff picks, Ayy. y'all. Can be any movies, in theaters, streaming, what have you. <laughs> um, I, uh, <laughs> You're just delighted by yourself. <laughs> it makes, every time it laughs at what have you is in there. Nobody says what, what have, have you. you. <laughs> we say it every week. Um, Luce, why don't you start? Um, okay, I'm going to start with a movie that I feel like is not getting enough attention, even though it's about uh, rich, fancy white people. The <laughs> new adaptation of Emma, I am so fucking obsessed with. It is so beautiful, and it's such a great satire on class, which obviously Jane Austen wrote the book you know, a long time ago. It already was a great satire, but this is the first time I have seen writers and directors actually get the comedy and set it in the time period while also making using today's ideas of humor, like melding them. Like the comedy is nonstop. It's laugh out loud hilarious. Oh, yeah, truly. And then the other amazing thing about it is, and I have not read this anywhere and I will go to my grave saying that they did this on purpose. Obviously Clueless was um, um, based on mm-hmm. Emma. Uh, 
Emma, the the costumer whose name I don't have in front of me, but they had to have purposely looked at the costuming of Clueless because multiple costumes look inspired by Clueless. There's an outfit that Emma wears that's all yellow yellow and black. There's a part where she's, her little shop that she goes to to play with ribbons and clothes, like the mall in Clueless. There's a scene where she's goofing around and she like puts on this silly hat with a bunch of flowers, which is exactly like a scene where Cher does that at the mall with Dion. And there are, um, if you look at the two Eltons, they look almost exactly alike. So I think the hair and the costuming and the casting, that there had to have been some elements of Jeremy Clueless Sisto put into it. Jeremy would like to say that no one looks like him. Look, they did <laughs> a great job with this Elton. Uh, not as hot, but still pretty hot. Um, Josh O'Connor. And I just think it's this interesting new thing where it's like, Clueless is now officially canon. It's been wrapped around and like within this new Emma. And we've never seen a period film acknowledge a modern film and then make it period again. I did not pick up on the costumes, so now I have to go see Emma for a third time. Uh, it's amazing. Yeah, it's I think you really, fun. yeah. It's a good one. Uh, my recommendation is a Netflix TV movie. It's technically a four-part miniseries, but we're going to fudge some things because it's important. Self-made. <laughs> oh, my God. Self-made is one of those shows you sit down to watch and you're like, oh, this is instantly very, very important. Cassie Lemons directs the pilot, who I... My goddess, I love her. She did Ease by You, which is required reading if you're going to talk to me ever about <laughs> literally anything. It describes my entire personality, and I love it. It stars Tiffany Haddish, Octavia Spencer, Blair Underwood. It's about Madam C.J. Walker. She's the first black millionaire. Um, she created like hair products, and it sort of tells her journey of like how did she go from having nothing? She her uh, folks were slaves. She was a slave as a child, and then freed, and then she worked as a washerwoman, and then she started losing her hair and she oh my gosh guys she thought that she had found a friend who was like listen I'm gonna help you grow your hair and it's gonna be great and then later it turns out to be a light skinned betrayer who was like listen you look like you come off of uh, you look right off the plantation and so you can't be seen with me I'm gorgeous and light skinned I have money and a business so we can't really talk and then CJ Walker says tits to that I'm successful as hell and goes off to make a million dollars that's essentially the whole story I love this show and the things Octavia is doing in it Give that woman her Emmys, her Oscars, all of her awards, mm-hmm. whatever she needs. Put her on Broadway so she can <laughs> EGOT it. Like, fabulous, fabulous woman. Uh, two black women wrote it. Two black women directed the four episodes. It is full of black lady love and hair love. And I've never seen, like, the... We talk about, like, what's the difference between bad hair and good hair a lot in black cinema lately. We are not showing the actual lives of living in that hair. I mm. don't think. I think it's very much been a political topic that people are touching talking about and touching on bullet pointed segments of it as opposed to what is it like to live with hair that is deemed to be ugly or not acceptable or problematic and to showcase that with such beauty with so many different types of black women made me feel seen and I, I want more things like this it's called self-made it's Netflix uh, a week from the day this drops check it out it's, it's so good I can't recommend it enough oh, I can't wait you sold that so well you really did. Thank you. <laughs> I hope you enjoy your commission <laughs> um, all right were well, you I'm... one of those writers that yeah. you're talking about <laughs> always always getting checks from the major companies <laughs> um 
Now, for my pick, uh, it is a Sundance film from this year that I mentioned is one of my favorites, Never Rarely, Sometimes Always, directed by Eliza Hittman. Um, Her last movie was Beach Rats, and she had another Sundance film before that that... Oh my gosh, doesn't matter. I'm talking about Never, Rarely, Sometimes, Always, which is about a teen girl in Pennsylvania um, who's pregnant and seeking an abortion. And the state law is such that she is underage and therefore needs to have parental consent. So she and her cousin, Skylar, that's kind of like cousin you need, mm-hmm. who's going to help you on a on a journey um go to new york and are like okay we're going to go to new york and do this here and i'm going to support you through it and it it strangely has almost the sense of like a thriller once they're there like Mm. because they're going through all these things um all for a medical procedure that she can't get at home so it is it's really well done and i recommend it and i'm also going to throw in just to oh bonuses just to put in a small little dude nod there's a film coming (laughs) out um from sundance 2019 on hulu called big time adolescent starring pete Davidson that I found strangely charming and he plays um, a 23 year old loser whose best friend is the 16 year old and has been his best friend for the last six years since he was in high school and now he's just grown up and sort of dealing drugs to this guy's friends so it's got a nice loser comedy um, and insight to it there's a nice little there's a nice you know boy growth arc so there you go um now, before we go, let us read our five-star reviews. If you leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, we will read it on air. That is a promise, not a dare. This is from <laughs> Rain in Austin. This is the bee's knees, oh. y'all. All the way from Texas. How could I send more love than a five-star review that is so well-earned? From Ricky Carmona to now, the cast may change. You will always find sweet voices laying down insights and humor. I feel like a Dickensian orphan with my face (laughs) pressed to the windows in this metaphor, staring in at Alonzo's genuine love for Christmas movies. Every single person involved in the show is a delight, and they discuss movies I didn't know even know I needed to see and support. Drea, your chuckle is peachy key and yeah, jelly bean. <laughs> nice. Check out Who Shot You. You won't regret it for an instant. Yes, the previous episodes too. Wow. Thank you, Tarina. That's a five Austin. star, five star review. Let great. me tell you. Yes, I give that review five stars. Absolutely. Yes, Come. indeed. Next week, we have a very special episode, as the TV shows say. The Max <laughs> Fun Drive begins on March 16th. In celebration, our guest will be dun, 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 the famed director <gasps> of Men in Black, Adam's Family Values, and Get Shorty, wow. Barry Effin Sonnenfeld. Wow. wow. Yeah, no joke. He will be on to discuss <sighs> the Stanley Cooper classic, Dr. Strangelove. I can't wow. believe this is my last week here. I'm living. I know. <laughs> I'm. Sorry, guys. You'll have to listen as well. Uh, Luce, thank you so much for being here and talking about First Cow Love. Where can we find you? Thank you for having me. It was my absolute joy. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at LTB Comedy. And I have my own film podcast called You Need to See This that you can listen to if you want more of this voice. Pew, pew, pew. Who doesn't? Joelle, thank you for spending all this time with us. Listen, it has been such an absolute pleasure. Your fans are so sweet. I love hearing from you guys. Uh, you probably already know where to find me, but yeah, hop, hop over to the Twitters. I'm at Joelle Monique. 
week. Uh, and I have a whole slate of podcasts that are going to be coming out real soon, but I can't announce them here. So wait, that was Twitter. a nice cliffhanger. Yeah, that yeah, was solid. Come to Twitter, and I will I will give you all the names soon. She did a teaser. Okay, the number again for the Who Shot Line, WSY803. 1664. A reminder that you can buy a Jumbotron for this very show by going to MaximumFun.org slash Jumbotron. We'll say all sorts of things for you <laughs> within reason. Um, if you have a comment or suggestion about this week's show, tweet at us at WhoShotYouPod or send us an email at WhoShotYou at MaximumFun.org. Our producer is Casey O'Brien. Our senior producer is Laura Swisher. And this is a production of Maximum Fun. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.